Well, the title of the study is A God Who Cares. And it's all about knowing how much God cares for us. There are some things in life, though, that cause me to ask, who cares? Like this story in Maine, a soda and candy-powered car travels 239 feet. Even in reading that, I was thinking it was going to say miles, but feet. Who cares? I don't really care. Um, Woman slams dead raccoon against city (laughs) building. Vermont, thank you, I am dumb. And I, I was like, VT, what does that? I didn't pay attention in class. I slept during that day. Women slams dead raccoon against Vermont city building. Police in Vermont say a woman who might have been angry about a dead raccoon left on a street took its bloody carcass to city hall and angrily slammed it against the building's doors. I don't know what she was trying to accomplish, but I, I say who cares. Uh, police in Georgia, thank you, shut down a girl's lemonade stand. That's just, that is cold. Because she didn't have a license, that is cold. And finally, the thieves that stole 21 tons of mustard and ketchup. An unusual heist, but again, who cares? Now, more seriously, there are many people out there in the world who are asking the question, who cares about me? I'm going to read to you guys just from social media, a couple posts that I got just from teenagers your age. Here's one. This is uh, a girl who writes, it's my birthday tomorrow, and not one person has mentioned it today to me at school. I don't even want to go to school tomorrow either. It's going to be so horrible and boring. I bet you that not even one person will say a simple happy birthday to me. Only a few friends will know it's my birthday from Facebook. Why am I such a loser? How can I make myself happy? Here's another one. This is titled, What is Wrong With Me? I have zero friends. I don't even know who I am anymore. I just want the approval of others and relationships, but I don't know how to socialize properly. I feel like everyone hates me and thinks I'm weird. I see no purpose in living because no one even cares about me. I don't blame them because who would care about a pathetic little insignificant human with absolutely no personality? The only thing I have going for me is my looks, but even that is not good enough. So the question is, is there something wrong with me, or does everyone else feel like this? Help. And here's one more. Tyler, I hate myself. I'm the worst being ever. I cannot do anything right. I'm nothing more than a person that no one cares about. I bet no one would even care if I were to die. Now, I bet in hearing that, there's probably something inside of you that maybe possibly resonates with that because maybe, maybe not now, but maybe at some point in your life you felt that way or maybe you're here today and even though you haven't told anybody, this is how you feel in your heart. Does anyone care about me? I'm pathetic. I'm worthless. Would anyone even really actually care if I die? I know I've felt that way. For me in school, most of you guys who know me know, but school was a really hard personal struggle for me. Um, When I was in junior high, I had these three best friends, and we were like the geek squad. Like, we were so lame, but we were lame together, and that's what counted. We had each other. Um, Here at the Calvary uh, lunch tables, we never sat at the lunch tables. We were always the guys who would sit on the ground over by the green fence over there, and we'd play Pokemon cards, and we'd talk about Mega Man, and we'd create secret clubs and societies, and all the jocks thought we were so lame, but 
We had each other, and that's what mattered. But something happened at the uh, halfway point in eighth grade. All three of my best friends moved, never to return. And uh, I went through high school really without a group of friends, which was tough because I saw different people in different groups. And after school, they'd go and they'd hang out at other people's houses or they'd go to the mall together. But I never fit in and I never belonged. And my best friend, uh, Trevor Daigle, was the most popular guy in school. Go figure, kind of weird. Somehow we were best friends. We had each other, but uh, I didn't fit into his group. So he had his cool guy group, but I hung out with him occasionally, but I never got invited to do anything with the group. And that exclusion really just, it, it hurt, and it was a struggle. And many nights, I wondered, is there something wrong with me? I was very heavy set, very overweight. I didn't know how to dress myself. In like the heat of summer, I would wear a t-shirt, a flannel, another flannel, a jacket, and a scarf. And I had big like, um, you guys know Doctor Who like during the 70s with his scarves and like afro? That was me. I had the crazy weird hair. And um, you know, I just many nights wondered like, what is wrong with me? Many days I wondered like, why don't people like me? I'm nice, I'm friendly. Another thing was I was a pastor's kid. And people knew, you don't want to do anything fun around the pastor's kid because he's going to tell his dad, who's the pastor, who knows all of our parents. So I didn't get invited to anything that was risky or fun or adventurous or exciting because everyone thought I would just go home and tell my parents what happened. And so I felt very left out and very lonely through school. And maybe you're at that place where you've had some really dark moments. Maybe even you've started a new school and you're looking around and you're like, I don't know anybody. Like I came from, some of you guys who came from Calvary, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you're at your new school and it's tough. You don't know people, it's strange. It's like how can I fit in? Like all the cliques are already formed, all the friend groups are already here. What do I do? And the biggest question of all is who cares? Who cares about me? Well the answer to that question, who cares, is that God cares. That's what you guys need to know, that God cares about you. In fact, the Bible says if a sparrow flies and hits its head and falls down and dies, God cares about that little baby bird sparrow. How much more does he care about you? And you might think, and I thought this before, God is so big and we're so small. He holds the universe in his hands. How could we possibly be important to him? Well, Today we're going to look at a story of a God who cares. We're going to open the story with Jesus and his disciples at a wedding. If you guys will read with me in John chapter 2, go to verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, you can easily read the story and be like, who cares? Like, wine at a wedding. Like, what? I don't get it. Well, here's the thing. Back then, wedding feasts were these huge, crazy events. Like, basically, it wasn't just like, like, I have a hard time sometimes with weddings, especially in the summer because everyone gets married and it's like, oh, I gotta go for two. I know I'm a terrible human. It's like, that's somebody like, like, joining together in this beautiful bond and it's totally biblical. But for me, at weddings, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't want I don't want to be here. It's hot. It's summer. Like, get married in the winter so I can wear my sweet coat and scarf. And it's all about me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, back then, weddings were huge. Like, it was a seven-day party, and the entire town got invited. Like, if you 
if someone was getting married and you walked on the street and you barely like brushed up against elbows with them, you're getting invited to the wedding. So Jesus and his disciples get invited to this wedding and they show up at the wedding and everyone's hanging out. Everyone's having a good time when suddenly Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, they have no more wine. So why was this important? If you guys don't know, wine in the Bible is symbolic a lot of times of joy. Um, Jesus talks about the wine of the Spirit, and he talks about um, how we need new wine in our hearts. And some of you guys, we think of wine as only in this negative context. Like, maybe you guys have alcoholics in your family, and you think of wine as, like, this really negative thing. Um, well, when people abuse things like alcohol, it can turn really bad. But back um, in the times of these weddings, they would drink a little bit of wine, and they would have joy in their hearts from it. Um, now I gotta show you guys something that's really hideous. Um, this is a band from the 70s called, I think, I don't know if their album is called Holy Spirit Express or if that's the name of their band or if their album is called New Wine. I don't, I don't know, but that's really creepy and I don't approve. Anyway, <laughs> so was this a drunk alcoholic party where people are swinging off chandeliers? No, because they didn't have chandeliers back then. Um, but the main thing is there, there's people enjoying wine at a wedding. And just like any gathering of people drinking alcohol, some people are probably sinning. They're probably having too much. The Bible says do not be drunk. Other people are just drinking at the wedding, so they're okay. Here's another thing that we need to understand with this. This is, I'm going to try to relate to you why this is such a big deal. No wine at a Jewish wedding is kind of like the time, do you guys remember Paul Prelly? Remember when he was the junior high pastor? Who was in the junior high group? Okay, I want to know if anyone was here on this night. There was a night we had a junior high home fellowship. I think it was at my parents' house. And Paul was in charge of getting the food. Him and I, if you guys don't know, we co-pastored together. We, we pastored the junior high group. We were both pastors and we served together. It was probably one of my favorite years of ministry. So I gave Paul, I was like, hey, Paul, like, why don't you be in charge of getting the food tonight? He's like, all right, cool. So we show up at Home Fellowship, and I'm like, all right, man, you got the chips, you got the cookies, you got the soda. And he's like, oh, no, I got water, and I got carrots, and celery, and like some like granola, like little like nature, crunchy valley bars or something. And I was like, a Home Fellowship without cookies and chips and soda? This, like, the kids are going to, like, riot. And he's like, no, man, trust me. Like, we're going to turn them into health food nuts. Well, was anyone there that night that they had? You guys remember that? Yeah, it, it wasn't good. Like, everyone came over to the snack table, and they were like, like, did someone's grandma show up? Like, what is this? And, and I told Paul, I was like, hey, man, now you know. I don't know how they do it in Bakersfield, but now you know. So it's like a Home Fellowship without cookies or without chips. So Mary shows up and she tells Jesus, there is no wine. Here's the final reason why this is a big deal. This is the reputation of this couple getting married. Their reputation is on the line. They're throwing this big party. They invite everyone in town. When you're a Jew getting married, like you're supposed to bring out the good food and the good wine and so people have a good time at your wedding and you're supposed to entertain them for seven whole days. Well, there's no more wine. And it's like everyone's sitting around like, hey, let's have a good time. Let's feast. Let's have some wine. And oh, there's no wine. So their reputation is totally on the line. The next thing that happens is Jesus says to her, woman, 
Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. He says, my hour has not yet come. So um, I was talking with Jake about this verse, and we were trying to figure out, like, when Jesus says woman, is it like our modern cultural context where Mary's mom is like, excuse me, Jesus, there's no more wine, and Jesus is like, woman, why do you involve me? Like, that's not what he's doing. It's like, now at times when, when a guy, when a, when a girl comes over and says something, the guy's like, woman, go make me a sandwich. Like, it's a very misogynistic, like, sexist, like, not good thing. Um, but uh, Jake actually looked up the, the Hebrew word, and it's uh, this weird word, it's, it's goon. <laughs> so don't call your mom goon. You know, she comes over and tells you to clean your room, you're all goon. <laughs> don't say that to your mom. Um, but back then, um, in, in Hebrew, this is a word of respect. It's, it's, it's this word um, where basically, it's kind of like madam, you know? Like madam, madam. Madam, why do you involve me? Now, why would Jesus call his mom Madam? Well, that's, it's got to be a weird thing if you think about it, the, the, the relationship between Jesus and Mary. Because Mary's known this whole time, not only is Jesus, you know, his, her little baby, like, Mary, did you know? Yes, I did. An angel told me. Um, thanks for writing that song, though. It's cool. Um, but <laughs> Mary knows that Jesus is the Son of God. So she's growing up, like, probably never had to discipline him because he was perfect. He never sinned. So it's just this weird child that never does anything wrong. And she's growing up raising this kid, but she knows one day he's going to be the son of God. I think that Jesus in this moment, he, he, he sees his mom and he's, he's thinking, you know, she knows that I have power. Like, she knows that I can do miraculous things. I don't think that Jesus wants his family to use him. But here's another thing. This is very interesting. We were talking about this throughout the week. If you guys have never really thought about this, Mary has possibly another motive on the line. Mary has a reputation that she's been trying to salvage. Mary, when she was a teenager, got pregnant with Jesus. Joseph did not say that he was the father. So Mary's going around town saying, like, yeah, I'm going to have a baby. And everyone's like, well, who's the father? Like, who'd you sleep with, Mary? Like, what happened? And Mary's like, oh, no, no, it was God. If your friend at school showed up pregnant one day, you know, your, your teenage friend showed up at school pregnant, and you're like, oh, my gosh, who did this to you? And they were like, oh, no, it was God. An angel came to me. You'd be like, you're crazy. Like, what a stupid excuse. You would make fun of them. If you're a terrible person, you'd make fun of them. Uh, some of you guys are, though, and I am too. That's okay. Um, well, it's not, but God's working on us. But um, Mary went through a tough time. People ridiculed her. People were accusing her. Like, where did this baby come from? Like, what is going on, Mary? And so she's grown up probably getting a little bitter, probably getting a little jaded, probably getting a little bummed out that her entire life, like, like for these last 30 years of watching Jesus grow up, people have known her as, oh, that girl who got pregnant and we don't know who the dad is. That's her reputation. But Mary knows if Jesus does a miracle, people are going to say, oh my goodness, the son of Mary, like maybe, maybe he was from God. Like maybe whoa, maybe Mary was right after all. So possibly Mary's got some alternative motives here. Jesus says to her, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So the next thing that happens is in verse 5. 
His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's interesting. It's the last words of Mary ever spoken in the Bible is obey Jesus. So that's a good one for Mary. Good job. I, I like that. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Verse 8, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs or miracles through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and the brothers and disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. So this is crazy. This is Jesus basically doing his first miracle of all time. He's never parted the Red Sea or floated or like made apples appear from nowhere. Like he's done nothing. He's just been a dude who worked in a carpenter shop or possibly a stone shop and just worked for his dad and grew up in his neighborhood and never did anything wrong. Um, so he's just this guy from town. Like Jesus is literally at this point just some guy showing up to a wedding and no one knows he has God abilities in him. And Jesus, he, his mom comes and says, hey Jesus, why don't you start doing your miracles? And Jesus says, I don't know, Mom, my hour has not yet come. Why are you involving me? Here's some interesting things to know. The first thing to notice is that Jesus didn't have to do this miracle. Like, he, he didn't have to. He said, my hour has not yet come. He could have just put his foot down and said, no, Mom, sorry, it's not the right time for me to start doing miracles. But you know what? Jesus noticed that it was a big deal to this couple, this bride and groom. He's looking at this young couple stressed out on their wedding day. Nothing is going right. They're running out of wine. And everyone's looking at them and judging them and trying to figure out. And you can just imagine the bride. Like, this is her day. She's been dreaming of since she was a little girl. And they're out of the drinks. And it's just like, oh, my reputation. Like, everyone's going to remember my wedding. is the wedding where we ran out of wine. I think that Jesus knew it was a big deal to this girl and this guy. Jesus didn't have to do this miracle. He, he could have had better things to do. He could have actually gone out and for his first miracle, healed somebody, found a leper or somebody um, you know, who was dying of a disease. He could have raised somebody from the dead for his first miracle and really made a big, big scene. But he didn't. Another thing to note is that Jesus was putting himself at risk. Because the religious leaders at the time were always on the look for anything out of the ordinary. And if they hear that some person changed water to wine at a wedding, their first thought was going to be, this person's a, they practice witchcraft. They're like a sorcerer. Like they're, they're, they're praying to Satan to get the demons to do things. So they, Jesus knows that if he does a miracle, he's putting himself instantly on the radar of the religious leaders. And finally, 
Performing the miracle sets Jesus on the path to the cross. Performing this miracle, this is the moment where Jesus begins the long, bloody, tearful road to Calvary, which is the hill where Jesus died on. Jesus knows that by starting his ministry, by doing this miracle, he could have waited. Like, Jesus could have waited. He's 30-something at this time, early 30s. Jesus could have easily waited until he was 40. He could have had another 10 years without having to suffer. He literally could have been at this wedding. He could have spent the next 10 years just teaching his disciples about God and not doing any miracles, which would set things in motion. So he's at this wedding, and he has a choice. My time has not yet come, but I want to help these people. And this is, that just blew me away. That blew me away. Because like, I, I, I know I think of God's will sometimes as something that's like so set in stone. You know, like just it's, everything's planned out. God's got the whole picture. But then I think of times like when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham prays to him and says, God, if there's just 50 people in the town, would you spare them? And God actually goes, if there was 50, I would spare them. And it just makes me think, that's crazy. That prayer, talking to God, actually impacts things. Because in that moment, Jesus is thinking, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to start this path. I don't want to start this path. But then Mary comes to him and just, just asks Jesus, can you help me? And Jesus actually cares enough about humans to like do something that actually really makes things difficult for him. And that's really the story of God, is God going out of his way to love us and rescue us. God like literally putting himself on the line. And you have to know that's, that God is the same God. And he looks at your life and everything you're going through from big and small, and he cares about it. He, just like he cared about the couple in this wedding. It's amazing that the God of the universe cared about these people because they weren't important Bible characters. There's no book about them in the Bible. There's no story of anything great that they did. They're literally just two random people. They don't, we don't even know their names. And yet God, the God of the universe, created everything, and yet he cares that these people ran out of stuff to drink. That's amazing. And it makes me think of big situations like war and famine, natural disasters. In those circumstances, God cares, obviously. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's looking at people in Africa who are starving. He's looking at people in countries that are being torn apart by war, and just citizens are dying, and people are being destroyed by sin. He's looking at all these different things, and he cares. But you know, for you, you're having a bad day at school, and you come home just, just broken inside by the hurt that people have caused you. God cares about that. Maybe your parents have been fighting and you listen through your door and you hear the sounds of shouting and it becomes very discouraging and you wonder what the future is going to be for your family. And God knows and he cares. It's amazing to me that we are important to God. And the reason that we're important is that we're his kids. Have you ever thought about like the idea of serving God. We all know we're supposed to serve God. I've talked to you guys before, like, hey, you need to serve God. You need to worship God. You need to work for God. And that's true. We're called to be servants. But you know what? We're also kids. And we're kids primarily first as our identity. We serve because we love the Father. Think about this. Um, what is the role of a servant alone in a house? 
A servant, you know, he comes in and he brings the food on a tray to the master. And he says, here's your toast. And then he goes and he gets the mail and he gives it to the master to open. But what does a kid do? A kid runs down the stairs, sits at the table, eats the food, and then the kid grabs the mail, opens it, and says, what's in this for me? That's our primary role. We're children of God. We have access to all of his gifts, all of his goodness, and then we serve him and we serve other people because we love him. We're his kids. Now, I don't have kids yet, um, and nothing's on the way. Because anytime I talk about this, people are like, what's going on? Um, Nothing's going on. Um, But I don't have kids, but I will one day. And I can't wait. Like, I've been thinking about it. Like, I'm going to, I bought this old, um, you guys are going to think I'm so lame, but it's this VHS. You guys are like, what does that stand for? Like, violent, hairy, Sasquatch. (laughs) I don't know. Um, A VHS, back in the day, we had tapes. And you put them in something called a VCR. This is before DVD players. Um, and you would hit play, and they'd play, and you'd have to like rewind. You couldn't like do chapters, like skip ahead to different things. You had to literally like, if you were at the end of the movie, you had to hit stop and like let the tape rewind for like ten minutes, and you just watched it. You're like, I want to go back to the beginning and watch Remember the Titans again. Um, anybody remember the Titans? Do you remember the Titans? Okay, all right, cool, good. It's a good movie. Anyway, I bought this old, v- it's like a TV slash VHS combo. So I've got all these old VHS tapes, like Muppet movies and Oliver and Company and Robin Hood and just all these Disney movies. And then I, I on my Nintendo Wii, um, I loaded it up with a ton of old games, like Super Nintendo, Game Boy, Sega Genesis. You guys are like you're speaking some weird language. These were good systems, okay? These were back in the days of, they, they weren't 3D, everything was 2D. And, uh, you know, when I have kids, I'm going to watch old games, or I'm going to watch old movies with them, and I'm going to play old video games. And they're going to learn about the good old stuff, and then they'll get the new stuff later on, but they're going to start out learning about the cool stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to impart my fatherly wisdom. I can't, I don't fix cars, uh, I don't fix, you know, anything cool, but I fix computers, so I can teach my kids how to do that. Um, and that's going to be exciting for me to produce more nerds. Um, it'll be great. My little nerdlings, my little nerd crop. Um, and uh, yeah, Brooklyn's got her own plans for what she wants to indoctrinate the children with. A uh, band called Hanson. Um, they'll probably all grow their hair out super long and blonde and you know, that'll be cool. Um, you know what? I'm excited. Like I think about my future children and just the idea of like, oh, I just, I get so excited about the idea of like, like when they're going to have a bad day at school and they just come home hurt and crying. I'm just so looking forward to like being there for them. Not like, I hope that they have bad days so I can constantly be like their savior. Like, no, no, that's not what I mean. But they're going to have bad days. They're going to have pain. Um, they're going to stub their toe. They're going to cry. I'm like so excited to be there for them and to wrap my arms around them and hold them and love them. Like, I just, I have that in my heart I, I, where I just, I think about it. I get so excited to be there for someone in that way. And you know what? I know my future kids will cause me pain. Like, I've been around enough parents. Like, seriously, young parents, like, parents who just had kids, if you ever hang out with them, they're like, don't do it. I haven't slept in 17 days. I'm going to jump off a bridge and light my house on fire. Like, that's, that's what happens Like when you talk to people who just had kids. So I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be difficulty to it. 
but I'm so looking forward to it. Even though I know my future kids will cause me pain. I know when they're little kids, they'll cause me pain when I have to get up in the middle of the night and change their diaper. I know that'll be painful for me, and I'll be older and grumpier, and it'll just it'll be great. Um, and then I know that when they're teenagers, they'll do something stupid. They will probably break a bone. Um, they'll, hopefully, they'll be more courageous than me. Uh, I've never broken any bones. So um, I'm going to teach them to do all the cool stuff I never did. And then they'll break bones. And I know that'll cause my wallet pain to pay for their doctor bills. Um, sometimes I know they'll disrespect me and they'll hurt me. Maybe they'll even um, do something really bad and steal from me and run away from home or something. Like I, I know there's a possibility of that, but it's so worth it to be able to love someone that way, even if they're going to cause you pain. And I was thinking of that, and I was like, that's how God thought of us. Because God knew. Think about it. What, what have you done? Okay? You've done some bad things. You're, you're all sinners. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> Absolutely. I've done some pretty messed up stuff in my life, if I'm honest, and you have too. Think about it. Like, think of your sin. Um, think about, like, what is the, like, the thing that you're most embarrassed of, you know, that you wouldn't want anyone to know? God knew about that. Like, before you were born, before you were created, before God knit you together in your mother's womb, God knew about you on your worst day, and he still went through with it. He could have, like, looked into the future, seen that thing that you did, and been like, uh, nope, uh, I'm making someone different. Uh, instead of Trevor, we're going to have, uh, uh, I was trying to think of, like, a funny name that sounded like, Trevorina. We're going to make a girl, and she's Trina. <laughs> okay, um. God knew about us at our very worst, and he still went through with it, and he still made us, and he knew everything, every lie, every just wicked thought, every disrespectful eye roll, every just wicked, disgusting, nasty thing that comes out of our minds and our hearts and our mouths and our actions, and he still made us. That blows me away, and he loves us, and he cares about us. Like, if, if, I had, if I created creatures that disrespected me and didn't care about me, like, if I built robots that, like, hated me and were mean to me and disrespected me and, like, went off and did their own thing, I'd, I'd dismantle them. I'd be like, you guys are done. Like, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to light you on fire. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'd throw them in. Like, on Wednesday night, I'd throw the robots into the fire heap. I'd just light them on fire. God could have done that at any point. He could have destroyed us, and he would have been totally justified because we're all wicked. But he loves us and he cares about us. I'm so blown away that God is that way. Now, sometimes we feel like the whole world is against us. I want to see a show of hands if anyone's ever had a day like this. Have you ever had a day that just went on and on in, like, terms of terribleness? You sleep in, you miss the alarm. You're late to school. You show up, you realize you didn't do the homework. The teacher calls on you to talk about what you thought about the reading last night. You didn't do the reading. You go up in front of class and you start stuttering. And then the girl that you like is in the front row and she's laughing at you and your heart's breaking. And then you show up to lunch and you, they, they throw mud on you. I don't know. That never happened to me. Sometimes it was bad, but it was never that bad. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, and then you end up in detention and then you get summer school after that. And it's just like the never-ending. Has anyone ever been in that never-ending spiral of like a bad day? Okay. It is amazing to know that we have a God who cares. In John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, take courage based on the fact that you know that I have overcome. Guys, the battle's already won. We've talked about this before. You're fighting in a war, and sometimes you wonder, will I ever win? Will I ever survive? God has shown us the future. We win. 
We survive. We make it through. Sometimes I worry about money and, and health and just different things. My, I just I struggle as an adult. I hate being an adult. Seriously, if I could go back to being a kid, even a teenager, like just the, the amount of responsibility you get once you're an adult is crazy. And I know it's just going to get worse and worse once I grow older and have kids. And yet God says in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, and uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is an awesome verse. God is saying, do not fear. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to help you with whatever you're going through. And when you start to fall, I'm going to, I'm going to take my righteous right hand. I don't know what's going on with his left hand, but his right hand is awesome. Maybe it just means that it's not the wrong hand. I don't know. That was so dumb. Okay, anyway. God takes his hand and he strengthens you. He gives you strength. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting the whole of your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. When I think about that last part, well, the first part, actually, our anxieties, our worries, and our concerns, how many, well, you don't need to show your hands. You've all got them. You've got anxieties, worries, concerns. I've got them. I constantly, last night I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about things, and I was just up till four in the morning just lying in bed, like just thinking and just tossing and turning in bed. God says, take all those things and cast them on him, give them to him, and say, God, I can't carry these burdens. Will you carry them for me? And Jesus always says yes. And it says at the bottom, for he cares for you affectionately and watchfully. When I think of that, I think of a parent. I've been asked to um, watch my little sisters before growing up. And I'd be, you know, on the playground, sitting on the bench, reading a book, and I would be looking after my sisters affectionately because I love them. I'm looking at Amanda, little Amanda who married Scotty. She's, she used to be a little girl and she'd be on the tire swing and I'd be looking at her affectionately like, oh, my little sister is so cute. She's such a little like blonde Shirley Temple dumpling little child. I just, I loved her. She was great. I still love her. But I'd also be watchful. I'd be like looking out like, are there any like other little like dude three-year-olds who are going to cruise up and try to hit on my little sister because that's the truth. I'm going to go punch a little three-year-old. Like, I don't know. Um, that's the way God looks at us. He's affectionate. He loves you. No matter what you're going through, he's like, I love you. But he's watchful. He's looking. He's like, is Satan coming around the corner? Because if he is, he's going to get a load of my righteous right hand. That is the Lord's heart for you. He is watchful and affectionate towards you. God says, do not worry. I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, and I will uphold you. Cast all your cares upon him. So many times um, we're sinking, you know, we're like in the water and we're drowning and we're sinking and we're holding like these giant bags of bricks that just make us sink farther. And so many times it's like God's standing on the boat and he's like, like, reach out, grab my hand. You're like, I can't, I've got these bags. Like, you don't understand. Like, if I let go of these bags, like, my whole life, like, I've, I've got to hold these up. I've felt like that so many times. 
when you have responsibilities, when you have worries, when you have struggles, when, if you're someone like me, if you're a type A personality, a little OCD, a little bit like a control freak, like you just, you gotta make things work, you can feel like if you let go of your, your cares and give them to God, that like you won't ever be in control ever again. And what I've learned is it's so much better to hand those bags of bricks to the Lord and then take his hand and let him pull you up and then he walks with you. And it's not like God says, like, all your cares, like, don't worry about them. I'm going to throw them in the water. You won't care about anything again. It, that, that sounds crazy. Like, we need to care about things. We need to care about people and our lives and responsibilities. What God says is, give me your burdens and I'll carry them for you and then walk with me and I'll show you how to walk. That's such a better deal than trying to solve our own problems. So many times when I am going through troubles in my life, I don't go to God first. I go to other people. I'm struggling with something and just I'm frustrated and life is hard, but I go to my friends or I even I go to my wife, which is awesome. My wife is so wise. She's just has so much wisdom. She just is always sitting at home like, hmm. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be weird. Um, she just like sits in the backyard on a rock just like waiting for me to come out like asking life's problems. That'd be strange. Sorry, Brooklyn. That was weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Okay. Let me regain my train of thought. Oh, yeah. God is wise. He's so wise, and he is so ready for your problems. Like, imagine that you're on a ship. You guys remember the Titanic? Okay? Like, ran into a giant iceberg. So imagine you're on the Titanic, and you see the iceberg way off in the distance. In the movie, I think they hit it at night when everyone was kind of like sleeping. Let's just imagine it's the middle of the day, bright as ever, and you see this iceberg, and you know the ship's going to run into it. And then instead of going to the captain to tell him, you go to your friend, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's this iceberg, what do we do? And your friend's like, I don't know, let me ask my friend, hey, have you ever dealt with this iceberg before? I don't know, let me think about it. I have a book on icebergs. I'm like, here, why don't you read this book? Okay, and you're like reading the book, and then you crash into the iceberg and you die. Go to the captain of the ship. Tell him he's the one who has control of the wheel. He's the one who can steer out. So if you have a problem, don't go to your friends who can't really do any help. You can go to them after, but always first, go to the Lord. He is the one. And that's what Mary does in this story. She shows up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I know you can help. I know you're the son of God. Like, I, I know. I've known all this time. You can do a miracle here. She didn't go to the host of the party. She didn't go to the bride. She didn't go to the broom. The, the broom. <laughs> yeah, she started sleeping. Um, she went to Jesus. Jesus was the first person she went to because Jesus was the one he could help, and he does. He performs a miracle. Now, if you don't know, like, Jesus changes the, molecu the molecular structure of water. This is amazing. Like, he goes to water, and, like, by the power of being the one who controls the universe, like, remember, Jesus was there in creation. He, he, Jesus was there when he said, let there be light, and there was light, and Jesus helped create the animals, and Jesus created water in itself. So Jesus, even though he is a man, he is also God, and he has complete control. It wasn't like a magic trick. Like, Jesus is the guy who literally wrote the rules to science and the universe, and he looks at water, and he just changes the molecular structure of the water. It's amazing. Now, what was needed for this first miracle to happen? You might think, jugs, water, pots, servants, 
No, none of that stuff was needed. The only thing needed for this miracle to happen was Jesus. Jesus is literally the only ingredient. He, he could have done it even if there wasn't water. Jesus could have literally just been, bam, and there's like water pots full of wine all over the place. Jesus had the power. It sounds really obvious. This is going to seem like a really obvious point to you guys. But the point is, in, in our lives, if there's no Jesus, there's no miracle. Now, what's the definition of a miracle? It's like, oh, yeah, a miracle. It's healing. You know, someone's sick, and they walk in, and they say, please heal me, and they, someone prays, and they get healed. That's totally a miracle. That still happens today. I've seen it happen. There's some people um, who do things miraculous, like Moses in the Bible. It's a miracle that he was able to, with God's help, part the Red Sea. That's fantastic. That's a huge, crazy miracle. But you know what else is a miracle? Freedom from sin. Someone who's been struggling their whole life with sin, and then they go to Jesus and they ask for help, and then they're free. That is a, that is a straight-up miracle. A new heart. Somebody who's got just a nasty, wicked, sinful heart, and they go to God. And on Wednesday night, um, we watched this movie called The Neighborhood, and there's this guy in there who's um, just doing dope and drugs and crack for years and years. He's addicted. He's strung out on heroin and all these drugs, and he goes to jail, and he meets this guy in prison who's also, uh, he's, a, he's a Christian, but he did something wrong, and now he's in jail. And this Christian in jail, he's got this southern accent, and he's just like, hey man, let me tell you about Jesus. And um, the gangster in prison, like, he calls all his friends over and they make fun of him and they're laughing at him. Like, oh yeah, tell us about Jesus, homie. Like, just, they're, they're mocking him, but in the end, the words of that guy got through and the guy ends up giving his life to Jesus, praying, and he just completely gets a heart transplant and he never did drugs ever again after that night that he gave his life to Jesus. That is absolutely a miracle. And in our lives, many times we need a miracle. Sometimes it's just straight up we need you know, someone to be healed. But sickness is just a root, or it's just a symptom of a root issue, which is our world is corrupted by sin. And one of the biggest miracles that we need in our life is freedom from sin. And I know that there's many of you guys here today who are struggling from sin. You're struggling to get through. You've got hidden secret sins that nobody knows about, and you don't want to tell anybody. So sometimes you do, go, do good, sometimes most of the time you do bad, and you're just struggling and wondering, like, oh, am I even a real Christian? Like, trust me, I've been there. I've, I've done that. I've walked down that road. Check this out. If you're trying to do it without Jesus, you're never going to see that miracle happen in your life. But with Jesus in our life, it's just non stop miracles. I don't know about you, but like ever since I actually really, like I grew up in a Christian home, but at that point in junior high when I really committed myself to Jesus, I've seen so many miracles in my life. I've seen so many sins that God has freed me from. I've seen so many times God has changed my heart when I was bitter towards somebody, or I was going down a wrong path in sin, or I was prideful and trying to do things on my own and trying to make my own future and live my own life. And God did this miracle in my life where he changed my heart to his, and now I walk with him. Listen, if you need help in your life, and you do, it's not an if question. It's you need help in your life. Ask Jesus for help, because without him, we have nothing. Without him, there is no miracle in our life. Now, just as we wrap this up, many of you guys know this verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Just for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
So God thinks about you and he dreams. Big dreams. Like he has thoughts and hopes of your future. Now, I just want to go over this really quick because I think this is important. Some people twist this, and it's what's known as the prosperity gospel, and we talk about it sometimes. You know, Scotty really doesn't like it. I really don't like it. I was talking to Jake. He's really not into it. Prosperity gospel is basically saying, like, if you follow God, all your dreams will come true. Everything will be great for you. Give me money, and God will give you back three times as much money, and yeah, it'll be great. Like that's, okay, like, I just want to show you guys a cool little comic that uh, kind of puts it into perspective, okay? So it says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, God has a wonderful plan for your life, just like he did for Jesus' original disciples. Hi, I'm Peter. I was crucified upside down. Oh. Hi, I'm Andrew. I was also crucified. Hi, I'm James. I was executed by a man with a sword. Hi, I'm John. I was lucky enough to grow old and die of natural causes, as far as scholars know. Hi, I'm Philip. I was tortured and then crucified upside down. Hi, I'm Bartholomew. I was skinned alive and then crucified also upside down. Hi, I'm Thomas. I was speared to death while praying. Hi, I'm Matthew. I was also killed by a spear. Hi, I'm James. I was crucified. Hi, I'm Thaddeus. I was crucified. Hi, I'm Simon. I was crucified, which, may I remind you, is a particularly heinous way to die. So everyone like started laughing like at the beginning, but then like died off because it's, it's depressing. Um, <laughs> these were Jesus' 12 disciples, and they died in terrible ways. So yes, God indeed has a wonderful plan for your life, Christian, which is to preach the gospel and make disciples, and I would add, to live as a child of God who is free from sin, free from death. You, your body can die, but your soul can never die. Just like these men did, it's why they were killed. The same Jesus who personally called these men to this task calls us to do the same, even if it hurts, and it might hurt. And this, I, I hope... That for you, that maybe even just reading this short comic, maybe this impacted you more than anything in the whole message. Because listen, we're called to be missionaries to the Lord. And I hit on this all the time, but you being in your school or some of you guys are taking college stuff, you're not in that for no reason. Like, it's not just about getting an education so that you can grow old and then get money and retire with two houses and a boat. That's not what it's all about. It's about serving Jesus and making disciples. And guys, listen, in America at this point, at this point in history, no one is killing us in the States for our faith. We have it really good. We, the church in America, the Christians in America, should be the most evangelically bold and crazy people on the planet. We should be the ones who are constantly preaching the gospel. There are people who are doing that in other countries and getting their heads chopped off. We have it so good. If you're feeling some conviction right now, it's because the Holy Spirit's real. Listen, consider yourself at your school a missionary. Pray about what that means for you. But the verse that we went to, where it says God knows his plans and his futures for you, that is true. Like, God looks at you. It's, it's this, this weird thing that coexists with one another, where it's like, being a Christian is hard and it's challenging, but God also loves his kids and wants to bless them. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the fact that there are people starving in Africa and I have a house that God is, is totally from the Lord and he, he blessed us with it so that we can um, do Wednesday night church there. I think that's the main reason that we got it. Um, it just it came from pretty much nowhere. Like I don't understand that, why sometimes some people get blessed with things and sometimes other people don't. But what I do know is that no matter what, God loves his kids and takes care of them. And I've thought about this before. If for some reason my house burned down, like, uh, like Christian, uh, and I got you know put on a plane to Africa and I had to live in a hut, 
I would still be blessed. Like if I had to like eat like bugs like in the Lion King, the slimy yet satisfying grubs, you know, I would still be blessed because it's all about what has God called you to do and are you doing it? If you're doing it, you're going to be blessed. It's not about how much you have. That's never what it's about. And that's why in my heart I've had to kind of make this decision that, God, if, I, if my house burns down, if I lose all my stuff, if I, you know, all the movies I've made, if they get deleted off the internet and my hard drives burn up and no one sees the dumb movies I've ever made, that's okay. If all the stuff I've built technologically, you know, that's my nerdy hobby, if all that stuff burns to the ground, who cares? So what? It's all things. If, even if, I've thought about this, um, if, if I lost my wife, you know, where I turned my back on God, or if my parents died, or my sisters died, or if some of you guys died, you know, I thought, would I turn my back on the Lord? And it just, it doesn't make sense to do so, because in the end, God wins, and we're in heaven with him in the kingdom, and God loves people, and he wants them to be there, and that's really what matters in this life. Are people going to go to the kingdom? Not, we think of we, I've got to build my own kingdom here on earth. I've got to go to school and make money. And like we think, like, like honestly, if, I'm, if we're really honest, I'll be the first to admit it. Throughout the week, the number one concern on our mind is ourself. We take selfies. We look in the mirror. Like we see our face probably more than any other face that we see. We're constantly looking at ourselves, worrying about what can I do to make me happy. I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm a wicked sinner. I wake up in the morning and I go, oh, I'm hungry. I need food. And then throughout the day, I'm like, oh, I need more food. And like, what's going to make me happy today when I get home from work? Like, what can I do for fun to entertain me? That's how I am. That's probably how you are. But God has called us to live for his kingdom. So that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God does have a future and a hope for you. Look at the next verse, though. We don't normally look at Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. It says, then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is calling for us to lay down what we desire in our hearts and to seek after him with everything that we have. To put in the time and effort to talk to him and pray and ask him what his will is. I want to challenge you. Do that. Seek Jesus because when, he, when we pray, he listens. When I was a kid, I was watching the show called Mega Man. And uh, Mega Man was the good guy. He was a, blo- a robot who uh, was blue. And his brother was this evil robot named Proto Man who was red. And he used to be good. I remember the episode he turned bad. His programming got switched. And Mega Man's brother, Proto Man, the coolest robot because he had sunglasses and had like a yellow scarf. And he was really, really cool. He became a villain. And I wrote a letter to the President of the United States. Bill Clinton, and I said, Mr. Clinton, you've got to do something about this. I was like five years old or four or something. I was, I was a really dumb kid. He didn't read the letter. I got a letter back, and it's like, oh, thank you for your concern. The president will get to it like as soon as he can. Like, n- nothing ever happened. Proto-Man stayed evil, and the show got canceled, and I never found out what happened. So the president didn't care about my letter, but Jesus cares. There's an old hymn that I love that says, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. That means give up. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's awesome that we can take our concerns to God. Because he can do what man can't. 
man couldn't turn that water into wine. The best thing that man could have done was added like some purple food coloring and some like syrup, like some grape flavored syrup or something. But man cannot change water into wine. And God did it. Another thing that just, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, Jake's around just because him and I have great conversations about the Bible. And um, one of the things we were talking about recently about this chapter was um, Jake was reading some commentaries and uh, he just pulled out this really cool truth, which is Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood. And blood is something that represents the law. If you guys don't know, Ten Commandments, Moses gives them, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie, um, do not covet, do not make any false gods. It's this whole list of things that you can't do. And what happens is if you can't keep the law, there will be blood. And you will face consequences and you will die. Either you're going to have to die for your sin or you're going to have to go kill an animal and its blood is going to cover your sin. So Moses' first miracle is turning water into blood and it represents all that man is in. Because if you guys know about the law, the law is something that's not bad. The law is not evil. The law is actually good. It's God's perfect law. But the law is actually so good that no man can keep it. And so the law only brings death until Jesus shows up. And while Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, which in the Bible is a sign of the Holy Spirit and a sign of joy and happiness and celebration. And I just think that's so amazing because in our life, we're left with this river of blood, of all of our mistakes. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just thick and it's red and gross and it's, just, it's, it's nasty. It's our sin. And Jesus comes and he takes our nasty sin water and he turns it into this, this river of joy and wine and happiness. And that, that, just, that just blows me away. We think of God as this cosmic cop who's out to ruin our fun. He looks at you and he's like, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Some of you guys, that's how you think of God. He's only out to spoil your fun. And yet the truth is God loves you and he wants to take your pain and turn it into joy. He wants to take your tears and turn them into gladness. He wants to take every mistake you've ever made, every missed opportunity, every broken decision, and he wants to turn it into an opportunity to bring you joy and to bring him glory. Last, uh, or yesterday, I was at the funeral of um, Branch Nakamura's little sister. And um, his mom got up and just really bravely shared, and she was talking about joy. And she was saying, you know, this is a woman who's lost her baby. And she got up and she said, when I lost my baby, I wasn't happy. Because happiness is something temporary that goes away and you lose it. But I had joy. And joy is something that can't be taken away by circumstances. It's a deep gladness in your heart because you know that God is in control and that he cares about you and that he loves you. And nothing, circumstance, nothing can take that away. That's the thing. People who don't have Jesus, they don't have joy. If you don't have Jesus, if your house burns down, you cry and you go, oh, my life is over. This is terrible. But if you have Jesus, your house burns down. Yes, you cry. Yes, you're sad. Yes, you're frustrated. But you have joy because you know, even though in this moment I'm sad, Jesus is going to bring me through this. He's my anchor of hope that will bring me through this storm in our life. 
I just want to share one more thing that kind of came out of our cool discussion. This is the last thing we'll share because it's 12.30, so i got to wrap it up. Jesus saves his best for last. In the story, the man comes up. There's the guy who's the host of the wedding. He's like the wedding party planner. He'd be like the DJ nowadays. You know, he's, he's the guy who's just running the show. And he comes up to Jesus, and he kind of puts his arm around him. He's like, hey, 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 Jesus, like, this is pretty cool, man. This wine, like, you know, most people, uh, you know, they bring out their best wine first. And then after everyone's drank that wine, you know, they, after they realize, you know, everyone's had enough to drink, they'll bring out, you know, some extra wine, but it's watered down, you know. It's, it's not that good. It's not that tasty. It's not that appetizing. And it's just kind of the extra leftovers. But you saved the best for last because the wine that Jesus made was amazing. Like it just tasted like just the finest grapes and just, you know, God's pulling like straight from nature and he's like putting it in there. And so I thought about it and I was like, that's kind of how it is with Satan, with the enemy. Because in our life, what Satan does all the time is he brings out his best first. Think about it. People who get into drugs people who get into abusing alcohol and partying and just getting drunk all the time, um, people who get into sex um, before marriage, Satan brings out like just these experiences that feel amazing. They feel killer. That first like hit of that drug is just, oh, it's like a rush. That, that first time getting drunk and you're around your friends and just you're having a good time, it's just it's so fun, so amazing. That first time, like, having sex with somebody and just, you know, you're not married and it feels adventurous and it feels wrong and it feels like, like oh, it's so wrong that it's right and, like, the, the fact that I'm not allowed to do it makes it even more exciting. Like, Satan brings out these experiences that just hit hard and just feel good. But you know what? Very quickly, they fade and you're left with brokenness and pain and hurt and just a watered-down existence. He brings out his best and then once you have it, once you get hooked, first time is always free. Once you get hooked, then you're a slave to him. And you live a watered down life. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in that place right now. But you know what Jesus does? He brings out his best first, and then somehow his best gets even better and better every day. I don't know how to explain it. It's not like Jesus brings down like this watered down life, and then as a Christian, after 40 years as a Christian, then it's really good. No, Jesus brings out his best, and then his best somehow gets better and better each and every morning that you wake up as a follower of Jesus. Not just as a Christian who believes in Jesus, but if you're someone who's actually saying, Jesus, you're my master, and I'm following you in your footsteps, then every day is full of new wine and new joy, and it just builds and gets better and better. That's what I've been experiencing just for the last 10 years or so, just, just this life where every day, even when I have hard days and things break and, and I have to pay money for things and people get sick in my family, people die in my family, every day is full of just this new joy and strength. And listen, if you're hearing this today, maybe you're hearing this and you feel that watered-down existence because you gave in to Satan and now he's got you hooked on something. And you're hearing about the wine that Jesus has. It's like the woman at the well when she says, you know, I need something to drink. And Jesus says, if you have the drink of my well, you'll never thirst again. Some of you guys need that today. So I'm just going to, let's just bow our heads in prayer. I'm going to ask you guys to respond in a second if you like prayer. Let's just pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we can gather together in your name. God, many of us here, we feel like nobody cares. We feel like 
our lives are meaningless at times, aimless. It's just the struggle of this age in high school. And God, we can feel like we're alone. Even though we have friends around us, we can feel like truly no one really understands what we're going through. But God, you care. You care about a little sparrow. You care about this couple who had no real significance, but to you they meant everything. And you saved their wedding, even though it put you on a path to die at the cross. Thank you, God, for doing that for them, and thank you for all the times you put yourself out of the line for us. Thank you, God, that you died on the cross for our sins. We love you, Jesus. I'm just going to ask with everyone's eyes closed. If there's anyone here who just feels empty right now, you know, we, I don't need to know why, but just for whatever reason, you feel a little watered down in your spirit. You feel like things have become difficult, and you wonder, does anyone care? If you're in that place right now, I'd like to pray with you. So if anyone feels that way and they'd like to pray right now, just, just lift up your hand ever so slightly and we can pray together. Does anyone feel that way? Okay, I see you. Good. Awesome. Anybody else feel that way? Okay. If you feel that way, pray with me in your heart right now. Dear Jesus, I'm so tired of what the enemy has been giving me. I'm so tired of living watered down life. Jesus, I pray that right now that your spirit would fill me fresh. Baptize me, Lord, in your Holy Spirit. And fill me, Lord, and give me everything I need to face the days ahead. To live for you to be a disciple, to lead people to you, Jesus, to run from sin, to fight evil, and to follow you with all my heart. Fill me now, Jesus, I ask you. Lord, I pray that you just bless these guys. Lord, if anyone here didn't pray with us, but later on today, they um, feel like they need to. God, I pray just help them to know, lead them by your Holy Spirit to come to you in prayer. Just like that hymn says, what, how foolish it is that we miss all these opportunities to give you our burdens and we try to carry our own burdens. God, I pray that none of these kids would do that, but help these students and these young disciples to give all their burdens and cares to you. In your name, amen. Amen, guys. Happy Sunday. Have a good day. Peace out. Praise the Lord.